It demands that we tell sinners the whole truth. We will not go quietly into the night. Christian Cornerstone Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another broadcast. Uh, yours truly, uh, Bill Rick Sucker with Christian Cornerstone uh, Ministries. Today we get into a uh, little study uh, back on track, I guess, as far as our scheduling goes. Uh, Bible Q&A. We've got a lot uh, on this list. Uh, now before we get into this, I want to remind you guys, be sure to subscribe to our Facebook uh, page, uh, Christian Cornerstone uh, website. You can find more details on there, christiancornerstone.org. Uh, banners up at the top, wonderful colors. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns you have, thoughts, feedback, whatever, feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Joining me today is uh, Mr. Byron Gilroy. He's been with us uh, these past couple weeks. And today we're getting started on, I guess, just really answering your questions. How are you doing today, Byron? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing all right. Like I said to you earlier, uh, it's still a little warm. It's co- It's comfortable. It's it's comfortable. Yeah. That AC's, uh, well, it's not breathing enough. So... <laughs> I Sorry, it's a, it's a sweaty job, my friend. It's a sweaty job. Yeah, I mean, right. it's not too bad. It's just I like I keep it off during the day when I'm at work, and you know I come home and uh, you go ahead and turn it on. So it's got to mix around with that hot air and make it make it nice and comfortable. So probably about by nine o'clock at night, it's going to be a little cold here. But um, so yeah, I mean today here uh, we get into another uh, Q and A uh, going on. That's pretty much uh, really all we have. And again. Um, yeah, and, uh, for those of you who are watching this, uh, by the way, uh, if you're list- if you're watching this live, um, actually, what do, I don't, what do we do? We got live. We've got one man, person that's live, and I don't really think that's me. Feel free to throw your comment uh, down if you have a question. Um, if you're listening to this audio recording, let us know, and we'll actually put that in the next episode. So, um, I have like I don't remember the order, so pretty much. Um, uh, I have my three written down uh, that we can uh, share, and then uh, the list that you have also provided me with, uh, we can get into that as well. Uh, like we did last week, uh, let's just go ahead and alternate with that. Uh, first one, I think, uh, I had set up here, I think this was mine, yes. Um, do you think, this is actually uh, from a friend of mine. A family member, actually, they were asking this. We're having a short conversation. So they asked me this question. Do you think it's right to confront an organization or individual that doesn't agree with you uh, or your, that doesn't agree with your beliefs? Um, just because you disagree with them, that does that necessarily mean you're right? Um, I would say yes. My short answer is absolutely. Uh, you know, confront them. I mean, there's obviously a couple different scenarios as far as when uh, to confront um, and who to confront. But I mean, if there's a disagreement, I think it's absolutely healthy because number one, by getting involved with that, by confronting that uh, disagreement, there's gonna be a couple things that happens. If you confront the issue, let's say you're absolutely 100% sure you're right. You confront the issue, they ignore you, you walk away. Okay, problem solved, more or less. I mean, you did what you could. So. Um, that's one of three that I have here uh, selected. It's, you're either going to have a response where they're not going to listen to you. They're going to ignore it. Okay, you've done what you can. You also have option B. Uh, when you do confront this uh, with the assumption that you are right, then by confronting this issue at hand, 
whoever is speaking, whoever you're speaking to, will really help clarify. And you can have a general discussion. Um, I guess I'd say I got a gentleman at work. Uh, he's, I think he classifies himself as agnostic. Um, mm. He seems to be that way, but he's actually a gentleman I can have a conversation with. He knows my right. beliefs, or you know, he 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 comes to me with questions, of course. But um, I've got my views. Uh, you know, I got my biblical views, or at least you know that's my uh, desire. Um, and then uh, you know he has his. We have disagreements um, a lot, and mm -hmm. um, you know we joke around about it. So, you know, I says, "Well, you're dumb," and he says, "Well, you're dumb." I was like, "Okay, that's cool. We're both dumb." Well, there you go. <laughs> that works out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good relationship. Uh, there's nothing nothing negative. But anyways, the pro the what I'm getting at with uh, option B is whether you're right or wrong, you come into the confrontation. There's clarity that's going to come to play. They're either one going to ignore you, and you or two, you can actually discuss it. And one, you're going to be enlightened by what's going on, uh, by their views, and they'll be enlightened by you. So there will at least be some sort of thinking um, and meditation that's going to happen through that, whoever, whoever it is uh, that's involved with that. So uh, option number C, uh, C, number three, option number three as far as why it is healthy to confront these, uh, again, you know, taking the scenario that uh, you are right, um, they will listen to your words and work on fixing the problem. So, and even if you are wrong, thinking you're right, though, you know, going back to the second option, you know, that you might even get some enlightenment and be able to evaluate yourself and, and get that correction. So, um, is it right to confront an organization or an individual who disagrees with you? Um, absolutely. We shouldn't limit to this to just family, to just friends. Um, I think it's absolutely healthy to, you know, confront fellow Christians, which, you know, Matthew 18 is a perfect example of that. Christ's ministry is a perfect example of that. Right. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is beneficial all around, I think. I don't see anything, when handled properly, I don't see anything negative behind that. Well, I, I kind of want to make a distinction, okay. um, and that is that, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people, there are people that vehemently disagree with me, uh, right, because I'm, I'm reformed. Right, right, and um, and our series that we're doing on the doctrines of grace, um, you know, these provide a very um, a very rich environment for disagreement and cannon fodder um, that people can uh, can attack me. Um, so, do I confront people that are not reformed about their non-reformed views? Yes, um, uh, but I also pick my hills that I want to die on. Right. So, for example, I may, I may believe, and I'm not saying I do. So hold on a minute. Um, hold on a minute. Hold on. You pick your hills that you want to die on. So there's no survival in yes. this argument. <laughs> it, it, it depends on who the enemy is, um, uh, because because I I, I pick them. For example, and again, I'm not saying I believe this, but let's say that I was pre-millennial in my eschatology. Okay. Okay? Um, and somebody is all millennial. They think the millennium has already, has already come. Right? So I, they may disagree with me, but because they disagree with me, they're all mill, I'm pre-mill. I can sure, I can bet you my bottom dollar that I'm not going to confront them on their their all millennialism, 
Why? Because I don't care. Right? I just, it, it doesn't matter to me. Um, now, if somebody believes uh, that they have, you know, that they have a, uh, they're 100% involved in their salvation, um, then yes, I'm going to confront because I think there's, there's a biblical issue there. So just, I, I would, I would be hesitant to say that uh, yes, with it being unqualified, mm -hmm. just because people disagree with you, doesn't mean you need to go and and make sure that they believe the way you believe. If it's heresy, if it's heresy, yes. If it's an attack against the Christian faith from an agnostic or an atheist, yes, absolutely confront. Uh, but if it's if it's you know on the deity of Christ, absolutely confront. But if it's on those fringe issues, I don't I don't think it is. Um, you're morally obligated to do so. I would say pick the ones that you want to confront on. And go ahead and do it. Right. But also be okay if they don't conform to your way of thinking. Right. And I think also with that, um, uh, and I would say, uh, which will, will uh, I don't want to give too much behind. Yeah, whatever. Um, I actually want to uh, skip a question. Uh, we'll throw this in there uh, later. Um, well, I guess we'll kind of relate to this now because it's kind of... I want to use this as an example. Um, one of those questions was uh, the view on creation, and this is this is where I want to give that example for. Um, I personally do feel um, that that is important. Um, what mm -hmm. you specifically believe about creation, millions of years, six days, that's not going to hinder salvation. However, right. um, the reason why I see it as important is because. Um, what you believe there ultimately decides what you can do with the rest of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, Great. Yeah. And so um, with that question uh, that, that was uh, provided, uh, the view on creation, I personally hold this, I, I hold to the six days. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I'm planning on uh, putting a lesson together. Uh, a Genesis study, I guess is what it would be. Um, that would eventually explain that. Um, and there's obviously a lot more information out there that you can get. But if we take these, the millions of years concept, then, and if we say that, okay, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe that it happened, we can take that with the rest of the scriptures. Um, we can say, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't matter uh, if, if there was a flood or how big it was. What matters is that there was, you know, people died. Um, it doesn't matter if, uh, uh, let's see can't really think of anything offhand of uh, rest of Old Testament. Exodus, it doesn't matter if that happened uh, or who it was, but that it happened. And I guess the biggest one with that same principle in play, that it doesn't matter how it happened, but that it actually happened, is the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus, but he was a real guy. You know, that's essentially what you're getting to. So it's very, very dangerous to take that principle, um, you know, the whole it doesn't matter what you believe principle with Genesis if you're not going to take it with the rest of the scriptures. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, and I think uh, when we do come across these disagreements, like you said, if it's heresy, confront it. Um, and uh, for an example, creation, uh, that example, I would say stuff like that, uh, and granted, I already explained it, but look ahead um, to what is the danger 
if said person continued with what they believe. Right. Um, especially within the Christian faith, because we need to be accurate uh, within our understanding, at least to the best of our human ability. Um, otherwise, we risk leading other people astray. So um, don't just look at face value. Just because it happened, you know, we believe it happened, how it happened. Well, that's where you really need to look. It's not a matter of did it happen this way, but what we're doing is we're taking man's principles and implying them, you know, replacing them with God's or from God's. Yes. Mm -hmm. Taking God's and replacing them with man. So, um, and again, it varies on the doctrines, it varies on the principles and, and whatever else that you might have. But I've found it to be beneficial to really look ahead. Don't just look at the face value. Oh, this is a nice saying. Well, what's going to happen right. if we believe this? So. Yeah, and I and I have found um, I found that on the particular creation uh, thing, I I don't argue this uh, this too much. Um, that a lot of where a lot of where people get um, kind of tied up in knots over um, over the sixth day uh, or or the opposite um, is that what they try to do is is they they either they either try to squish um, mo they try to squish science right into Genesis one and two um, or or they try to expand the scripture over science right uh, and and so what what ends up happening is I think this has this has led this conversation has led to um, a lot of people thinking that there is a tension between science and faith, and there's no tension between science and faith, right? I, and I've gotten I've gotten this the same question, uh, I've gotten this asked to me multiple times. Um, and and really, my my response is, what does the what does the scripture say? Right. Okay. What does the scripture say? What the scripture does say is that God created. Right. And and we are, um, we do see the the whole concept of the day, and and all the study that has gone into day in Genesis. We see that. Um, but I think I think to say to to read Genesis and then then say, well, it says day, so so that has to be um, that has to that has to be our conception of time, right? I, I think that's I think we we get we get a little bit off um, on that, and I don't think we can come to any solid conclusion regarding regarding that um could god could god have created in six days with the appearance of age absolutely absolutely he could have could god have created in six days using the modern vernacular of that time and it take and it's taken um millions of years could that have happened? Yes, that could have happened. Um, what 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 actually happened? Not quite sure, because he tells me that he did it. 
He doesn't tell me how he did it. Right? Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I'm being vague in my answer to to the question uh, for, for a reason. Uh, because when it comes to that particular issue, um, I believe... I believe the scriptures and I believe what the scriptures teach. Mm -hmm. But I also, I also believe that there's nothing in the, there's nothing in modern science that has contradicted the scriptures. You know, and a lot of people, a lot of people take the sixth day. They take that view um, as, and and Bill, I'm not saying that you do, you're, you're doing this for this reason. (laughs) Uh, but a lot of people take the six-day view because they're reacting to a pendulum swing, right? Oh, well, if it's not six days, then it has to be neo-Darwinism, right? No, no, it doesn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's theistic evolution either. That's a bunch of honky. Don't, no, I am not saying that. I don't purport that uh, at all. Yeah. Um, but... But I think that we've, on this issue, we have people take a position because they, they on, the, on the other end, they don't accept six-day because they don't want to be considered a fundamentalist, mm-hmm. right? They're six-day because they don't want to be an evolutionist. But that's a false dilemma. Those are not the only two options. And, and I, fall, I fall right here in the middle, is that could God have created in six literal days with the appearance of age? Yes. Could he have created over a large span of time and still been honest in saying six days? Yes. There we go. I, you know, and, and, and there's, I know Ken Ham, people like Ken Ham have, uh, I've listened to a lot of the debates by Ken Ham about this issue. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about it. I think we just need to be careful that we don't tire our, we don't try to make the Bible a science textbook. I'll agree with you on that. So, all right. Um, I believe that, uh, well, I guess technically that was yours. Um, the next question we have here is, uh, this is from uh, the list that you've provided. Uh, what is the purpose and calling of an elder? Ah, yes. Yeah, and what is the role and function? Uh, I'm sorry. What uh, what role and function does one have within the local church? Yes. Uh, do you want to take first crack? Well, I had to get my Bible out here. Um, and as far as location specifically, I don't have that memorized. I would say, I want to say First Timothy. That would be correct. Okay. Um, well, and in a nutshell, while I'm, you know, killing time, flipping through Timothy, nope, too late, I'm already there. Um, I would say, uh, outside of the text, which this is, it's very important to go to it, uh, to the scriptures itself for the answer. Uh, the reason I'm giving you one beforehand is that I believe it's, you know, pretty much for my own challenging or growth is to, you know, give you that answer. Um, the elder of the church is, uh, specifically... Not necessarily, to my understanding, it's not the pastor. Um, I guess if you want to relate it to a local structure, a modern-day structure, it would be the board. Um, 
However, I don't think the, the board itself should be really using it in a business process, uh, concept. I mean, I, I got a whole entire spiel in my head as far as how that would operate. I think that's kind of off topic. Um, the elder itself um, is essentially the older people uh, within the church, and I'm having a hard time finding it. Are we going to look in the overseer section here? Chapter three? First Tim yeah, first Timothy okay, three. I'm already there. I was looking first for the elders. Um, the elders specifically are to, you know, their job is to, you know, the older people uh, within the congregation who are, are more mature in the faith, sanctified. And I would say not required to have the theological education, but if you're like 50, 60 years old, whatever it is, and you're on the board of elders of your church, there's got to be some expectations that you have an understanding of what the scriptures have to say. Um, but uh, I guess here, I'm, I'm just going to read this off here and then kind of give a comment on, on this, and then you can fill in whatever gaps uh, of additional what, eight, nine pages of uh, commentary that you might have there? Is that what it is? <laughs> Actually, I have no pages today. No, okay. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm winging it on this one. Yeah, I think that's actually very healthy. I think that, personally, I mean, I, you obviously have a couple miles of uh, understanding on me, but, I mean, I think this whole winging concept um, it is healthy. I think it, it helps the, the challenge the individual, like myself, yeah. to, uh, to give the accurate answer. But here in First First uh, Timothy chapter three it says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, and if I remember correctly, that parallels with the word elder. Um, mm -hmm. Aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's awesome. Every you know if you have that desire, cool. Uh, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Hospitable and able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, uh, but gentle and not quarrelsome. Uh, not a lover of money, and he must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping uh, his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? And I would actually stop right there. Actually, no, we've got two more verses here. He must not be a recent convert. Uh, he may be, otherwise he may become puffed up with conceit and fail to, uh, fail to, con fail to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting my words mixed up here, fall into the condemnation, I don't even have my glasses on, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be uh, thought by the outsiders, uh, thought mm -hmm. well by the outsiders, uh, mm -hmm. and may not fall into disgrace, uh, into the snare of the devil. So really this has to be a man who, uh, and I would say a man, uh, it says here, being that it says it must be the husband of one wife, that's what I would say is that the elder, um, there's, by God's design, there's no no room for a female to be in that position. Um, and uh, that's, you know, we don't have a choice on that matter. And there's obviously reasonings behind that. Uh, we can get to it at a later time. But uh, it needs to be a man, a mature man, a respectable man. Uh, like it says here, hospital, hospitable, uh, self-controlled, really needs to take, well, you know, as far as his mentality and his attitude goes, needs to really be able to handle himself well. Um, mm -hmm. Now, one of the things here, it says able to teach. Uh, to my understanding here, this does not mean, and this, is, this was originally what I thought, um, it does not mean that able to teach, in other words, teach the elder. But rather, the elder himself must have the ability or the skill to be able to teach others. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of important. I can't really say I've been in too many congregations uh, that really have an elder structure besides the one I'm at now. 
Um, the elders specifically, I don't know them enough to um, verify the qualities or the if they you know meet these qualifications. So, uh, bottom line is, I'm currently out of church with elders. Um, but they need to. I think that's really important here because you know with these ministries, that's something that we're uh, trying to progress with: be able to teach. Um, so with that being said, I would recommend um, it be somebody who has a theological education. Um, not that it's required, but that having that education, uh, and we discussed this a little uh, previously, is you know how the structure of the um, first century. Uh, believers, how they worked and they operated by understanding a rabbi. Um, they can pass this knowledge on. And mm -hmm. what they're learning here in seminary or however the theological education that they're getting, they can repeat that. It says, oh, well, here I learned this at such and such organization at this ministry back in school, you know, back in the you know 40s. Um, and, you know, passing that on. Um you know, the, the idea that it's a new convert, that's also really important. Uh, and the whole puffed up concept that uh, Paul is addressing here, you can see this a lot with new believers, uh, young believers, even if you've been in the church for, um, you know, since you're a kid. Um, I would put myself in that example. I would say uh, in the early 20s, not the early 20s, my 20s, not the 1920s. Um, in my early 20s, I would say that, you know, I, I had a certain understanding of the scriptures. And there's one element that I remember that I was so prideful with, like, well, this is what the scripture says. This is what it means. You know, I don't need to listen to your heresy because what I'm seeing here is right. Um, and I was completely wrong. So um, if you were to talk to me in my, in my 20s, I would completely tell you um, I would not recommend myself as an elder. <laughs> um, at all, but um, I think uh, I think that's really important too. Is that we make sure? Um, I mean, it is obviously here in the scriptures that these elders themselves um, are humble, and you know this is something that does, of course, come with age. So I mean, mm -hmm. if, if if a church wants to put a age requirement um, on their eldership roles, I don't see any reason not to. Um, you know, because that, you know, kind of, it helps to dictate is this person uh, fit for this role. So that's my two cents on it. Uh, you have uh, a little bit more accurate description you'd like to give? Huh. Well, I wouldn't say more accurate. Uh, I would say more right, but not more accurate. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just as that, that is sincerely yeah. a joke. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hurt my feelings I would also bit. turn, uh, I would also turn to... Uh, Titus 1 9 um, and, and Titus also because um, we are looking at the pastoral epistles here right. um, so Titus also mentions in Titus 1 9 uh, he says uh, speaking of the elder <clears throat> uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, right? So, um, so to your point, uh, Bill, uh, I, I would say that um, you know, a theological education, yes, um, I, I think that would be uh, that is helpful. But I also don't think it's required 
uh, in a formal sense. Right. In that you need to you need a, a pastor that or I'm sorry an elder that has a THM or a PhD uh, or something like that. Uh, but the pastor does need to be theolo- uh, theologically competent, right? So Titus is ve- uh, Paul is very clear to Titus. He's got to hold firm to a trustworthy word as taught, so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, right? So he's got to understand, he has to understand um, theology. Mm -hmm. He has to have a theological background. He needs to understand the scriptures. Um, You also have it in uh, Titus 2. Um, You know, he follows up this discussion with the leadership in the church uh, in chapter 2, and he says, but as for you, talking to Titus, who is leading a church, right? Uh, talking to Titus, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. Uh, so Paul gives a very... Um, he kind of harps with... First Timothy and, and Titus, he kind of harps on the idea that if they are going to be overseers in the church, they need to be sound in their theology. They need to know their theology. So they need to know what they believe and why they believe it. And they must be able to, they must know it well enough to be able to teach it. Right. Right. So if you have in your church, if you have a, uh, uh, let's say a 60 year old man, Right, and he's been in the parking lot ministry for for many years and served the church very well. Right, if a young if a young buck cannot come up to him and say, "Joe, you've been walking with the Lord for forty years, and I want to learn from you." And that man comes up dry, and as far as teaching um, the the faith to this younger man, that man ought not to be an elder. The man ought not to be an elder, uh, because you look at you look at Timothy two two, or Second Timothy two two, uh, and he says, um, "You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace." Uh, that is in Jesus Christ, and what you have heard from me, that is the apostolic teaching, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So part of being part of being an elder, yes, you match all these other qualifications, but if they're not able to teach, and if they're not sound in their theology, that disqualifies. They must be able to entrust the apostolic teaching, entrust what they have learned from the Word of God to faithful men to do what? So that they may teach others also. So I think it's vitally important that an elder and his role in the church should should be teaching. It should be teaching. You look at uh, first, or you look at Philippians four. 
Um, and verse 11, he says, now I'm not speaking... Uh, do, 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 do. Nope, that's not where I wanted to go. Sorry. Uh, nope. Sorry, I've I've uh, I lost my place here. <laughs> Is this when we get that whole? Uh... Okay, so so what? The, the scriptures the scriptures do talk about and I'm I, I had a little bit of a uh, of a brain hiccup um, the scriptures talk about that he that the Lord has given uh, offices to the church right he has given some to be evangelists he's given some uh, to be teachers um, uh, and some to be shepherds right and we oftentimes the the shepherd and the teacher are associated with one another. Uh, right, uh, and that's typically seen as the pastor. Uh, but I, but what I would suggest is that um, the the elder needs to play a pastoral role, and that is they need to be able to um, uh, to do biblical counseling with uh, with those that are in the church. Uh, but they also need to be um, heavily involved in teaching. Uh, your Sunday school classes. Mm -hmm. They need to be heavily involved in that. And I think your Sunday school classes should be led by either elders or uh, people that have demonstrated with the same qualifications, but may not be elders, but have demonstrated uh, sound doctrine and ability to teach. So what we've gotten into in, in the churches today is we just let any blowjob get into the Sunday school class and start teaching adult Sunday schools, and I think that is I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we should be doing that. I think you need to have trustworthy men that are are been found faithful to the teaching of the apostles, and those are the ones that need to teach. Right. Um, so that's my that's how I would say. That's the role that they play in the church. They're shepherds, they're under shepherds, and they are teachers. Yeah, I'd like to also add uh, to that. Um, I, I already have my uh, Bible flipped open to the next question. But um, referring to Titus, from my understanding, uh, the difference between Timothy, Timothy was, uh, uh, he was leading a, an established church. You know, for mm -hmm. however many years, there was enough people, enough understanding was going there. And Paul is basically saying, it's like, okay, this guy that was just baptized yesterday, don't make him an elder. He's smart, but he's dumb. You know, rather to get the guy that's been there about five or ten years, make him an elder. However, there's a difference between that and what Titus has. Titus, he's dealing with a whole group of new believers, um, or, or young believers, we would say. And the qualifications we have there, to my understanding, um, it's, not, it's not limited to, okay, just... You guys are all new believers, so don't have to worry about being, you know, uh, following the guideline that I gave to Timothy, a new convert. Um, everybody was a new convert uh, with Titus, and I'm just showing. I don't want to go too far into detail with this, but um, everybody was essentially a new convert. So he's asking Titus here to uh, really pick the the best candidates, um, and we can go into another discussion about this. 
But uh, I learned this in a sermon I was listening to, MacArthur Lord, of course. Um, that, that, that was essentially the obstacle that Titus had. Um, and I bring that up because, you know, what do we, how do we address this if we have a new church? If we've got some 30-some-odd people, some 40, 50, however many you have, um, how do we dictate who we're going to appoint? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it should be really done slowly, um, even within the pastoral role. You know, my, my past, I've already shared with you a little bit, uh, you know, the, the church I was at. I don't know what the past uh, before I was there. I don't know what it was like. Um, but I would say even as far as appointing a pastor, we need to be careful with who we pick there. And if somebody better does come along, you know, put them in that position. Um, the senior pastor or the initial pastor might not like it. Um, however, you know, we can take along the whole John the Baptist, Jesus Christ coming on the scene principle. John the Baptist says, okay, you know, my job's done. This guy's more qualified than I am because, well, he's God. Um, so listen to him. You know, I'm passing the mantle on. So if we have somebody better qualified um, for the position of elder or I'd say pastor, of course, um, I would say put them in the spot uh, mm-hmm. because that's the, the primary mission of the church is to really uh, teach and preach the sound word of God. And if, you, if you've got somebody else better you know, put them in that position. I'm not saying fire the guy, you know, who is the current or previous elder or the pastor. Um, you know, keep them involved. Maybe as a junior uh, elder or pastor or whatever you have. But um, that should be our main priority when it comes to picking those, I think. Yeah, I think that rolls right into, Bill, the, the next question under the elder question there. What is the role and purpose of the church? Mm-hmm. How do you measure its success? Um uh, well, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you with utter certainty that the role of the church is not what you see today. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, um, the way that I, the way that I see the the, the role of the church um, is uh, found one uh, is firmly established in. Uh, Matthew uh, 28, 19 and 20, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Um, and, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Um, that's the mission of the church. Uh, so everything that the church does needs to circle around that right uh and within that a lot of people like to put the the emphasis on go right go and make disciples that's why you see uh you see matthew 28 uh 19 and 20 used uh for mission organizations right uh but the emphasis the imperative there is not on go the imperative in the greek there is on make disciples so the command is not is not the the going the command is the making of disciples so jesus is telling his 12 disciples you need to go and make disciples right and they need to make disciples you need to be involved in spiritual reproduction so the role of the church is spiritual reproduction the role of the church is to train men to 
teach um, God's people. Right. The role of the church is to influence culture. Um, we have, we stand on 2,000 years of examples of the church influencing culture. Then we get to the 1800s with the first and second great awakening, and we find all of a sudden, in the midst of the Enlightenment, we find the churches tucktailing and running after the great awakenings. Um, and so it has been from around 1850 onwards up to the present day. We have spent our time running um, from the culture. And by that, the culture has been able to put their claws in the church. And that, with that happening, that is why the church is in the state that it's in today. That's why preaching is in the state that is today. Because now we have taken this more of this business model approach to ecclesiology. We've taken more of a manager approach to the pastoral office. And it's, and it's gone haywire on us. Right. It has gone haywire on us. So um, the, role of the, the role of the church is to influence culture for the gospel. Um, and how do you measure that success? Well, you measure that success by how much culture is changing because of the church's influence. Um, so that's how I would answer uh, that that question. Yeah, I think um, what I'd also like to add on to that, how do you measure that success? Um, the question, I guess I, I would answer that question with a question is one, is that church uh, um, equipping the future generation of pastors properly? And, you know, we've already discussed this previously. Are they equipping the, the, the pastors or ministers within their, their congregation to essentially be the successors? Um, I think that's very important to measure success, and if done properly, you know, spiritually, it, it should flourish. Uh, like you said, you know, there needs to be that sort of impact within the community, and not just a whole, you know, flashy lights concept, um, such as an entertainment-driven church. We've got a couple of those here in town. Um, but also, um, are they planting churches, or are you know, does it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically a church um, ministries. Is, is 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 their ministries coming out of the church? Uh, you know, helping the homeless. Um, you know, building for whatever you want to uh, building homes, um, teaching ministries like you and myself here. Um, whatever else that you can really think of. I mean, I think um, let's say for an example, if a church has been around fifty years and all they've done was inside their church, that's it. We're going to go to church on Sunday. We're going to go to Bible study on Wednesday, Sunday school. We've got a couple potlucks. There's a problem. That's community, but that's not discipleship. So um, I think that's uh, you know something to look for too. Um, you obviously have to take into consideration how long and you know the, I would say the condition of the church. You've got um, I want to say Smyrna, Smyrna, Smyrna in Revelation. Smyrna. Yeah. Um, it's uh, if I have my, have my churches correct, um, that was a suffering church. That was not a dead church. Um, it was um, it was a church that was doing good, but it was limited and limited resources. So small church, you know, 30, 50 people, whatever it is they had, 
but spiritually they were rich. Um, it is Smyrna I'm thinking about, right? Has I got that right? I believe so, yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think that's very important too. As you look at the spiritual condition of the in individuals rather than the quality of entertainment and amusement and you know circus fun uh, that you can have. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. There's nothing wrong with right. having fun. But if that's your primary reason, uh, your primary means of, of ministry, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. So um, next question here. Let me see here. Um, I want to actually throw my second one in here, and then we can, which shouldn't be too hard, and we can get uh, to that next question uh, here uh, on that list. Uh, this is one that's been um, on my thoughts. Uh, this is a couple weeks ago, probably about a month now. Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, lead singer of uh, Van Hawk Nelson. And we've had a couple of these throughout the many, the various years, three or four uh, in the past and continuing on into the future. Um, these are men who leave the Christian faith. Uh, this gentleman from Hawk Nelson, he believes, is like, well, I no longer believe in God. Um, and there's a whole bunch of articles on that. But um, rather than saying, okay, well, because this guy's been a Christian for so long, then he's saying, I no longer believe in God. Does that prove God does not exist? Absolutely not. What that does prove is, is two things. Uh, one of two things. And here's the question uh, that I have here uh, related to that. Over the years, many professing. Um, actually, that's exactly what I have. Um, does it show that God is nothing more than a contradicting idea created by man? It does not. What this does show is that the individual is one. They might be, I would say, a young believer, um, regardless of how long you've been a Christian. Uh, by, you know, I, I would grade a young believer by you know, your understanding and your spiritual condition. So, um, in this particular case, this gentleman was getting not enough answers. He had questions, you know, okay, well, how can a loving, a loving God, um, you know, kill all these people, you know, all the Canaanites and so on, you know, a bunch of other questions a lot of skeptics, uh, have, um, so he's not able to get his answers. So he says, okay, well, God doesn't exist. But this either shows one, he didn't get the un he doesn't have the understanding, so he's leaving. Or two, it ultimately shows that he wasn't even of the Christian faith to begin with. Um, and I think we have a lot of those. Um, I would say a purging itself uh, is beneficial because one, it puts him into the hands that we need to minister to them properly. Um, or two, it it really cleanses the church of you know false false converts. But um, yeah, no, this does not show, it does not mean uh, God is artificial. Um, this really just shows that the individual's spiritual condition, spiritual condition uh, is not one of a changed heart. And uh, this verse here that we have here is in referring to uh, concerning antichrists, which is essentially not, not limited to Satan, but anybody who is opposed to or not of Christ. It says here, children in the last hour, First uh, John, chapter two, verse eighteen. Children, uh, it is the last hour, as you have heard uh, that antichrist, that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come, so they're already there, opposing views to uh, well, the Christian faith. Therefore, uh, know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not uh, of us. That statement right there, that's the first half of verse 19, uh, 1 John chapter 2. 
They went out from us, but they were not of us. So what he's saying there is the people who are leaving the true community, the true body of Christ, they say, I no longer believe this is heresy. I'm going to go believe in something else. The true body of Christ will not leave. Saying these people here that are leaving, that's clear that they're not of us. They're not, they're not regenerate. Because if they were, the, the next half of this verse, for if they have been of us, if they have been true converts, if they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then the condition is they would have continued with us. Um, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So um, that's is essentially you know the argument there. It's if, if people leave the church, um, there's two reasons. And uh, is one, they've never been a Christian in the first place, so you still need to give them the gospel. Um, or two, that uh, I would say in certain cases that you know they were hurt by said church, they were cast out by said church. Um, and uh, I actually I put myself in that ca category too. You know, I went a year without a church. Um, so it might be that they're just simply leaving a false church. That all, of course, depends on what they're claiming. Do they claim to continue to be a believer of God, or do they say God does not exist? So, see, and I I, I think that w the one question that we that kind of coattails on on that question um, is um, we have a weak view uh, today. Uh, of apostasy, mm -hmm. um, and the uh, the fact of the matter is, is that if you have a believer who has been a who has been a believer for a number of years, uh, and then they walk away, um, I can assure you, um, uh, with uh, the scripture to to support it, uh, that they were not a believer to begin with um, because because when we look at when we look at the doctrine of salvation right and when we look at what happens in conversion um, this idea of the putting on of the new man and then the taking off of the old mm -hmm. right that is a that is a permanent that is a permanent thing the the working and the prompting of the holy spirit uh in regeneration is not something that can be undone right so if you are actually if you are actually saved paul says you will persevere to the end um and and if we say that well they they uh, they're saved, they're just walking away. Well then, um, you're saying that man has the ability uh, to um, to resist God, and he does not. Uh, if you were not responsible for your salvation, which you weren't, you are not, you cannot keep yourself saved. Right. Um, so, we need to really have a, a, a robust conversation and develop a robust theology on what it means uh, uh, to be apostate. Right. And we don't need to be afraid of that term. And today in this in, in the church today, we're afraid to talk about an apostate. 
Yeah, and that and that really. Comes, and I, I think that's really because we're afraid to be viewed as unloving. But I, you know, the most unloving thing a person can do is to bring these to att the attention. Um, right. To, you know, for the means of correction. But I'm I'm trying to look this up here on my little. Um, you know, I got I got a little uh, backlash for bringing this up a couple weeks ago. My Blue Letter Bible app. <laughs> hmm. um, you got to check it out. I mean, the, the concordance that they have does uh, it, it does come in handy. But I want to before I give a comment on it, I'm a little curious uh, what the Greek is for this specific word that I'm thinking of. Um, okay, and I do have it here. Okay. Exactly what the English has to say. Um, going on that, and I will close up with uh, one final question. Um, uh, we have Gregory joining us today. Hey, welcome back, Gregory. Um, okay, so this uh, this verse uh, going along with uh, what you're sharing here, very popular one, Second Corinthians five seventeen it says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's regenerate, saved by the grace of God." You know, a person who is of the body. If anybody is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. The old self, the sinner, the, the wretched, wicked man that's, you know, deserving of condemnation, deserving of the internal punishment in hell, that person has passed away. Now, what I was curious about, uh, it says, behold, there's, uh, the new has come. Passed away. I was a little curious about that. There's really no fancy, you know, Greek cultural word that you can come up with with that. It just simply means passed away, gone, dead, perished. It no longer exists. So you can't make a dead man come back to life. Only God can do that. And, you know, he's not going to kill a new life for the sake of an old life. So, um, yeah, that's my uh, my uh, commentary on that. I just wanted to share because, yeah, there's no – if they're in apostasy, um, there's reason to be, be concerned, like you're saying there. Uh, again, we got one more time. Uh, time for one more question here. Um, that would be uh, – let's go back on that list that you had there. Um, let me see here. What was that? What is uh, what is the gospel? How would oh, you man. articulate the gospel to a non-believer? I'm going to say skip that because I've got a whole entire conversation for that one. Um, okay. You know, well, that's do you? I mean, unless you want to go with that, um, let's do this last one that you had here. Why do trial, trials occur, and what is the purpose for suffering? Wow, and you thought the you thought the gospel question was a big one. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. Um, I mean, suff suffering occurs. Um, suffering occurs because um, God uh, God has ordained it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and suffering occurs because we have um, we live in a sinful and broken. Uh, world now there's you know we can get into uh, the deductive problem of evil versus the inductive problem of evil um, uh, we can look at um, are are we talking about suffering uh, from the point of view um, of uh, of physical suffering of ourselves things happening to us uh, or are we talking about natural evil um, but no matter how you're, no matter how you're parsing this, um, suffering, uh, suffering is part of the Christian life. Um, Christianity, and this is kind of going um, a little bit off the theodicy trail because that's 
just such a big question. You need to understand that um, Christianity is uh, a, a, um, a religion of death. It is a religion of death. Um, and people are going, what? <laughs> um, I think I know where you're going there. Uh, yes, I mean we we are we are a faith of of death. Um, we are told to die to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. um, we our hope, our eternal hope is found in the death of Christ. Through His death and resurrection, um, we have life. Um, so you know, putting the old man to death. I mean, death is, death is everywhere in the Christian faith. It's a, it's a reality. Uh, physical death is a reality because of sin. Um, so suffering happens because the fall happened. Right. Um, period. Yeah. And I think it's important. Uh, I was listening to a, a series, um, uh, a sermon series uh, earlier, I think it was either today or yesterday. Um, it's one thing that we, we need to be careful with is that when we say that when, you know, so such person has died or, you know, whatever suffering that a person is dealing with, um, whatever turmoil is as well, it's in the will of God. It's, that's, uh, it's not, um, it's in the will of God to bring new life. It's in the will of God to save. It's in the will of God to bring joy. Um, and everything that comes with that. It's in the will of God to, uh, just in general, God's term of goodness. And when we live in this fallen world, as a result of, the, of sin, we're, ne we're going to have these turmoils. Uh, and this is a, a world that is ruled by Satan. Uh, God does not make things happen, but he does allow them to happen. Uh, these sufferings that we go through uh, are, are very helpful. Um, they will ultimately have a greater purpose. Uh, like we discussed with uh, some a couple weeks ago with Job. God allowed mm -hmm. Satan to act in his life for a greater reason. Um, uh, but he did not allow him to kill Job. Now, when we go through these trials and the sufferings, um, I think we can also throw temptations in there as well. Um, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I guess you're right. I mean, this could have been a, probably something we should have saved for later. Um, there's, there's a lot that, that happens is these temptations that come, they're just that they're, they're a test. Um, are we going to fall into this or are we going to overcome, uh, these temptations? Now these trials and these sufferings, uh, as we, we've already shared that it's a natural way of life. Um, how we deal with them is ultimately what's going to build or destroy us. So, um, yeah, I mean, suffering, trials, turmoils, sadness, calamities, political correct protests, you know, everything else that you can think of that comes into this fallen world, it is a result of sin. Um, mm -hmm. Now, God does not force it, but he does work through it for the greater good, for ultimately, for the upbringing of his children uh, and for his glory. And, and that's where I was going to touch, is that it is not for 
us. Um, we need to understand, as the church, we need to understand this, that no matter what the popular Christian song says, uh, that says, um, he, uh, above all, he thought of me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't think of you. On the cross, that ultimate act of evil, on the cross, God was concerned about one thing. And that wasn't you, and that wasn't me. He was concerned for his glory. Agreed. Christ died to demonstrate that glory. Um, and we don't suffer because uh, it's, it's something for us. We suffer because it's to bring him glory, period. Right. I agree with you on that. Uh, that's the last. Uh, Gregory, um, we'll kind of throw you in there. If you're listening to this, um, it might take a minute for him to respond, but it will be nice and give him a question if he's got one. Uh, if not, we'll go ahead and wrap this up here. But, uh, yeah, we got, uh, for those of you listening in, we've got a lot more questions, um, which, quite honestly, I don't even think we're going to be able to get through any list uh, that we have. Um, we've got our own uh, discussion. Obviously, more will come later on. Uh, and then, obviously, viewers uh, themselves, they'll obviously have uh, some comments uh, to throw in there as well. And then next week, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Bill, we're going to uh, look at unconditional election. Yes. Um, in in our in our tulip series. Yes. Yes. This is uh, the second uh, aspect of uh, the doctrine of grace uh, that yes. we'll be going over with. Um, so I wanted to give him a little bit of time because there's a little bit of a, a delay from the feed. Uh, Gregory, if you're watching this, we'll have to, uh, if you have a question there that you type it up right now, we'll have to get back to that uh, next time. Uh, we'll more than definitely get a hold of you, uh, you know, answer whatever it is that you have uh, immediately. So, uh, Byron, uh, stick around. Uh, thanks for chiming in. And, uh, you know, until See you all next week. week. All right, everybody, I want to welcome you guys. Not welcome you guys. Thank you guys uh, for joining this party. Uh, it was a very wonderful time. We do enjoy these broadcasts. We enjoy sharing it with you. Uh, look forward to hearing from you as well. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to put them in the comments. Get a hold of us on uh, Facebook, uh, email, whatever it is that you possibly have, and we'd love to hear from you and, and get in touch. So that's all I have. Uh, without further ado, you guys have yourself a very wonderful night, and God bless.